Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. This week on the podcast, we are happy to bring you a conversation with Cynthia Tice, founder of the popular sugar-free chocolate brand, Lily Sweets. In everything they make, Lily sources non-GMO and gluten-free ingredients harvested through fair trade practices and ensures that every product is botanically sweetened, meaning no refined or processed sugars. On this episode, Cynthia takes us through her own journey with food and how she was a pioneer in the natural foods business with her own Philadelphia market in the late 1970s. In the early 2000s, she kicked her sugar habit for good, but of course, her love of chocolate made that difficult. In 2010, she and her longtime friend launched Lily Sweets, and since then, Lily's has grown and become a mainstream staple for all of us who want to enjoy well-sourced, delicious chocolate without the added sugar. Cynthia has now transitioned to overseeing Lily's philanthropic work, which has been a core component of the company since its inception. Lily's pledges a percentage of its earnings to nonprofit organizations that support the fight against childhood cancer and other life-threatening diseases. If you are interested in how to be a conscious entrepreneur and how to create wonderful products without compromising quality, you won't want to miss this conversation with Cynthia. We are sure it's going to make your mouth water for some healthy chocolate alternatives this February. This episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. If you listen to our episode with founder Carly Stein, then you already know how powerful Beekeepers Naturals products are. Beekeepers Naturals is a wellness company specializing in innovative nutraceuticals made from healing hive compounds and plant-based ingredients. Their mission is to improve people's health naturally and save the bees. Allie and I are absolutely obsessed with these products and I've been using them consistently since December when Carly was on the podcast. So Allie, what is your favorite Beekeepers Naturals product? I love the Propolis Throat Spray. I've used it consistently through the year and it's been my immune system's secret weapon, which makes sense since Propolis is basically the immune system of the beehive and has germ-fighting properties. What about you? I love the Propolis too, especially as somebody who always had strep throat and throat infections. It has seriously changed my entire life. (laughs) But with that said, my favorite product is the Bee Chill Hemp Honey. Bee Chill Hemp Honey delivers a powerful 28 milligrams of hemp oil per teaspoon so that you can find your bliss. Made with USA grown hemp, it is non-psychoactive and contains 0% THC. I sleep like a baby when I take it before bed and it seriously takes the edge off of my whole day. It also hits the spot when I'm craving something sweet after dinner, which is just an added bonus. 
If you want to try the propolis or the Beechel hemp honey or any of the other amazing products, you can receive 15% off your Beekeepers Naturals order by using the code COURAGEOUSWELLNESS, all one word, at checkout. Or visit beekeepersnaturals.com slash courageouswellness. And you can also find the direct link in our show notes. Hi guys, we have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us, Cynthia, today. Well, thank you for having me. We're looking forward to uh, getting started and chatting with you. To start out, can can you tell us a little bit about how you personally became interested in whole foods and and sort of this natural way of eating back when you did? Sure, sure. So um, I grew up in the 60s, and I grew up um, eating the standard American diet. And by the time I was in my late teens and early 20s, I was having some health issues, and I just didn't feel well a lot of the time. I, they, they were primarily digestive. And, you know, I went to a lot of doctors, and I mean, basically, there was like nothing functionally wrong, but... Um, you know, they continued to bother me. And uh, I remember one day I was in college and I was sitting at my um, college uh, cafeteria table and I was complaining about how I didn't feel well. And this random guy that I have no idea who he is now, never saw him again, but he turned around and he said to me, well, no wonder you don't feel good. Look at how you're eating. Mm. And Honestly, no one had ever said that to me before, and it was kind of like he slapped me across the face. And, you know, it, it, it immediately resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, food, how you feel, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So I began to research, and I changed my diet significantly, and I instantly felt better. And I, that, that was kind of it for me. I became a, I became a zealot about, you know, eating better and natural foods and, you know, so much so that um, in the early years when I would go to family dinners and parties, I would brown bag it. I would take my own food with me. Wow. Yeah. That wasn't very endearing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can you share too what was better, right? Like what maybe were some of the things you were eating before and then did you change like so like was it a slow change or did it was it just right away drastic and you noticed such a change? Well, it was like it was both because initially I just took a lot of artificial stuff 
out of my, you know, artificial sweeteners. I uh, stopped living on coffee. Um, I started to eat more and eat more broadly. I incorporated fruits and vegetables into my diet more. And then eventually, um, so, so after college, I, uh, I decided that I, you know, in lieu of going to grad school, I decided that I wanted to open a natural food store. And my family, my family is entrepreneurial. So, you know, when it came time to decide, well, grad school or career, I had sort of had enough of school at that point. And I, I was like, you know, I just love natural foods. And I really wanted to open a natural food store. So I did open a natural food store in Philadelphia in 1978, which was very early. Yeah. And yeah. And, and throughout the years of owning and operating my own store, I went through many, many different uh, diet ideations. Um, I was vegetarian first, and then I was a vegan, and I was a vegan for many, many years. Um, I also was macrobiotic for a while, and um, most recently, which kind of leads me, led me to to Lily's, I really stopped eating sugar completely. Mm. And um, I, I'm very, uh, uh, I'm very low carb in the way that I eat. That's so, so interesting. So I've been through, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say like, you've, you've really experimented on yourself over the course of your lifetime with, um, or adult lifetime, I should say, with different sort of ways of eating. And then I'm assuming you know, changed, changed that or made sort of adjustments to it based on how you were feeling after that sort of first drastic experience with removing, you know, more processed foods um, from your diet and having such a, such an intense sort of transformation in the, in the way that you were feeling. But I like that you continued to use yourself as like, um, almost like a guinea pig with what worked best for you over the years. Yes. I'm, I'm really a firm believer that um, health is a journey and -hmm. it's a personal one. And I really don't believe that there is any one diet that is perfect for everyone. You know, I think there's so many, uh, you know, so much, you know, so much that that is regarding to our ancestry and our DNA and so much that is, you know, so much of diet uh, accomplishes, um, you know, our lifestyle. So I just feel that um, the 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 need, you know, the need and the willingness to remain open and change is 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 really important. And I can actually share an interesting story, I think, um, that from my own personal experience, which was that um, when I was uh, when I was pregnant with, especially with with my daughter, and especially um, I was a vegan at that time, and so um, I you know I had her and I did everything according you know perfectly to in according to the way that I was viewing, uh, you know maintaining your infant's health. And uh, so, you know, initially when she was born, um, I was uh, breastfeeding her exclusively. And then, um, you know, when she was probably about seven or eight months old, I started to feed her and, you know, just, I was basically like making my own baby food. I was, you know, cooking rice and 
rice and lentils and you know, grinding them in a baby food grinder. And she had, uh, by the time she was a year old, she had failure to thrive. Mm-hmm. And I could not believe it because, you know, I was giving her healthy fats and whole grains and, you know, you know, breast milk. And I was doing everything that, you know, I thought would be the perfect diet for her. And we had a very good pediatrician at the time. And she said to me, Cynthia, I know how mindful you you are being about the way you're feeding your child. She's like, but, you know, honestly, she said to me what I just said to you, no diet is perfect for every human. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could consider giving her a little bit of dairy. Mm -hmm. So I did. And I, you know, I thought, okay, you know, that seems reasonable to me. And I, I gave her some, some yogurt, some really high quality organic yogurt, and she blossomed. And I was so blown away by that. You know, it, it was such a, it was such a learning experience for me. And especially later in life when, you know, when again, I hit a crossroads at my own health and thought something in my diet is not working for me. And at that point I began to incorporate animal uh, animal products back into my own diet. And, and it was a good choice. Yeah. That's interesting. And I can resonate with that. I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I had a similar um, sort of part in my journey where I was recovering, having had a cancer tumor on my back and having had surgeries, multiple surgeries for it. And I had been a vegetarian and I'm dairy-free. I wasn't a full vegan. I, had eat, I would eat some eggs and, and occasionally some fish. But I was pretty much veggie for four years with no dairy. I'm still no dairy, which does really work for me. But when I was recovering from my surgeries, all I could think about was meat, like red meat. I was like, mm-hmm. I was having deep cravings for it. And I hadn't had that in a long time. And I decided to listen to it. Um, even after four years of being like, no, I can't eat meat. And I, you know, you're talking about your daughter blossoming. I felt like I came back to life. Like I had energy that I hadn't had in years and people around me commented on that. And, and I was like, okay, well, this clearly is something I need in my diet. I feel really good when I have it not an enormous amount, but just some. And so if I'm going to incorporate it back into my diet, I'm going to just try to be really conscientious about the quality of meat and like the sourcing of where it's coming from. Um, But I have to say, you know, similarly to the way you're describing, you know, I drastically, my energy levels drastically changed and I had to just be conscious that this was like a new layer of my health journey too. And I think it's really, um, I think it's great to share stories like yours because not having strict dogma when it comes to what works for you, like what, what works for you now may be different from five years from now and to like expose that concept to people. Cause we get kind of stuck in these sort of diet culture ruts, right? Or like trends that people just sort of have to stick to. And I, I think hearing that you've had a, a great evolution and even your child had an evolution and what worked is, um, it's just an important concept to share. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Allie. I really feel like it's super important to remain open to, uh, to, to new phases and, and new parts of the journey of health. And I also feel like it's really important not to be judgmental about mm-hmm. where others are in their own personal journeys as well. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, one thing that seems to be pretty constant in terms of food and diet is sugar, right? I think it, be it that you're a vegan, dairy-free, keto, Whole30, whatever you choose or and, and the evolution that we all go through, it seems to me that what keeps coming up is that sugar is not the best for us, right? It's, it's really I, I not. would say that, I would say that absolutely is a constant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so in the early, in the early days of, um, of, of the natural products industry, um, you know, any reputable natural food store would not carry sugar. So, you know, when I opened my natural food store in 78, you know, and throughout, like I would say, you know, for another 10 years, no one, no, you know, no one was carrying sugar. And it wasn't until natural, natural foods were, were becoming more mainstreamed and, and there was a, a deliberate, um, a choice to, that was made by a lot of the food manufacturers to add some sugar in order to appeal to a broader group of transitional shoppers. Yeah. Um, that that sugar began to then appear, you know, in um, you know, in natural products. Yeah. And simultaneously, you know, if if you'll remember. Um, fat was becoming villainized. Yes, yes. So, you know, remember that whole like fat-free craze of the, I guess, late 80s and 90s, you know, when, you know, everyone was avoiding fat. And in order to make food taste better, more and more sugar started to be added to foods. Yeah. And And so... Yeah. Yeah, no, I find that. And I think that is still carrying out to today where, you know, even though we have so much research, right, that like fat is really good for you and really healthy and, and nourishing. Yes. There are still people who are so afraid of fat because of this brainwashing, for lack of a better word, you know, but yes. so many people I know who are still afraid of fat do eat a lot of sugar. And I find that yes. to be really interesting. So can you speak on, right, like why sugar is so bad for us, maybe for anyone listening who doesn't understand, you know, again, why sugar, regardless of the diet you choose, it, people who are really interested in their health, that seems to be the constant in all these diets, right? So maybe you could speak well, to why that is. Sure. So, so uh, you know, I think the two primary reasons are that sugar is inflammatory, so it, you know, sugar is a, is a direct culprit to a ton of different inflammatory conditions. And then the second thing is that sugar is so addictive. So, you know, the more you, the more you eat it, the more you want it. And, and that becomes really problematic because, it, again, there's just such a high correlation between sugar and so many diseases, you know, including things like diabetes, obviously, right. but also the inflammatory conditions like arthritis, autoimmune conditions, you know, uh, cancer and, you know, on and on. Yes. So, you know, um, you know, f- uh, f- fat can 
you know, fat can also be problematic if you're not eating healthy fats, but, you know, there's so much new information now about new healthy fats that, you know, I, I agree with you that fat phobia is kind of like leftover from those earlier times when people, you know, didn't really understand the difference between hydrogenated fats and avocado. Right, right. I think yeah. that's a good point where it's like, yeah, there are some fats that we really need to be careful about and they get snuck into a lot of processed foods. Um, yeah. But it's not fat. It's not the macronutrient that's the problem. It's it's like, what? how are you consuming it? What are you consuming it? And if it's like, again, well, this goes back to the whole idea of whole foods and natural foods. It's exactly. like, if yeah. it's from an avocado... Right. you're probably fine. If it's from a coconut, you're probably fine. Like right. if it's something you can't pronounce, that's like a hydrogenated oil or highly processed soybean or whatever it may be, yeah. then, we, then we have to look at that. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, I agree. It's all back to your earlier, uh, um, earlier point about food quality. Yeah. So yeah. now that you've sort of broken down why sugar can be the culprit to a lot of sort of health issues. Can you talk to us about how you discovered um, alternative forms of maybe sweetener, but not in the sense of like um, sweetener in the way that also the people of the 80s and 90s are basically the generation that Erica and I were raised yeah. in. Um, you yeah. know, it was yeah. also not only the fat phobia generation, but of like um, – the chemical sweetener generation, right? The diet yeah. sodas yeah. and the um, yeah. yeah, whatever, all the aspartame. Can you talk to us about yeah. then, you know, your work with stevia and why that's sure. different? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so stevia is a really interesting p product, and stevia emerged in the marketplace um, somewhere around the 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 late eighties to early to early nineties, but initially. Um, in the U.S., stevia was only allowed to be sold as a supplement, hmm. and but but for you know the people that that um, were living and working in the natural products industry knew that stevia had a a, a very sweet component, and stevia is two to three hundred times as sweet as sugar. So even when uh, you know, in the early days when stevia was brought into the marketplace as a supplement, I was using it to sweeten my coffee mm. because I knew, so I knew that I wanted to avoid sugar. I, you know, once I opened the natural foods food store, I personally never ate sugar again. Mm. And when my kids were growing up, they, they never ate sugar either. So we would use honey and we would use, uh, you know, rice malt and stuff like that. Um, but I personally would use it very sparingly because it, it, it just didn't feel like it was good for me. So, you know, I, I, was, I knew that I was not going to be using an artificial sweetener. Mm -hmm. I, I had, you know, enormous distrust of those artificial sweeteners. And when I found Stevia, it was like this giant blessing mm -hmm. because then I could like sweeten my coffee again and feel really good about it. And um, so, so, Stevia went the route of being a supplement until 2008. And in 2008, um, 
Coke and Pepsi were looking for a solution to their tanking sales of diet beverages because by 2008, um, there was enormous distrust of artificial sweeteners and it was starting to affect sales of diet products in the marketplace. So there's, there's a pathway to um, getting grass status and grass is generally recognized as safe. And in order for a food to be used as a food ingredient, it has to be on the USDA grass list. So what ended up happening was that um, Coke and Pepsi started to experiment with, um, with stevia and they were viewing it kind of as the holy grail of sweeteners. And they self-affirmed um, stevia as safe, which meant they said to the FDA, We've done research on this product, and we know that it is safe. And at that point, stevia became, was was um, put into the onto the grass list, mm-hmm. and that's how stevia um, was uh, was allowed to be used as a food ingredient for many many uh, different companies. Mm-hmm. So when um, when stevia was put onto the grass list in a number of different companies began to experiment with using it as a food ingredient. I, I started thinking about that too. That's, that's the point at which lilies became an, an idea for me. Mm. And, and the reason that that happened was because I, um, I, I was a chocoholic and <laughs> I really wanted to eat chocolate, but I didn't want to eat sugar. And people would say to me, well, you can eat a little bit of chocolate, you, you know, just eat like a little square a day. And I'd be like, well, that's really annoying. I don't want to eat a little <laughs> bit of chocolate. I want to eat a serving of chocolate. Um, moderation is just not really part of my vocabulary. So, you know, that wasn't a really good answer for me. And I began to experiment with using um, stevia in chocolate and um, it was a, a pretty long process, and I wasn't actually even sure why I was doing it. Like I, like I wasn't like, oh my god, I got to launch this product. I was sort of like trying to fill a need for myself. Mm. And, but eventually, I came up like in two years, I came up with a recipe, and then just this interesting set of circumstances led me to launch Lilies. Mm. You guys grew as a company pretty quickly, I was reading, um, right? Didn't you get like Whole Foods distribution? Yeah. First, yeah. Was it your first yeah. two years? It was our first. It, first well, year. we took it. We took it. You know, I had had this, bro, this long career in natural foods and I right. had, um, I was, I was re- representing brands in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I had a relationship with Whole Foods and when, um, when, when Lily's crossed the point of an idea from my personal kitchen to like, oh, maybe we should, you know, maybe we should launch this as a brand. Um, I took it to Whole Foods and um, I took it to during their candy category review in August of 2011. And in right around Thanksgiving time, I got it. I got an email from them and it said, congratulations, we've chosen you to be launched nationally. Oh, and that wow. was going to happen. Yeah. And that was going to happen in March of 2012. Okay, so not even a year. <laughs> From yeah. the time your incarnation to like your national launch. Yeah. yeah. How, I mean, yeah. 
That's that's pretty incredible. It, but it sounds like you really refined the recipe prior to that, so it was like sort of ready we to did. go. Um, yeah, we yeah we had like the packaging, we had the you know we had everything ready to go. So you know at that point in in November, all we had to do was pull the trigger, and you know we got into distribution by by February, and we got into the stores by March. Wow. Well. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what your first products were that you um, that you launched with Lily's Sweets? Sure. So um, they were our original four bars, and they were fifty five percent cocoa, mm-hmm. and they were um, it, it was original, which you know is just plain fifty five percent chocolate, and then it was crispy rice, coconut, and almond. So it was those four bars. Okay. And now you guys have expanded. They have everything. <laughs> and we, oh my we're gosh. big fans. Yeah. yeah the, the crispy <laughs> rice uh, bars, the crispy, they're like good for you crunch bars. Like I've told like yep. people who love like the candy crunch bar. I'm like, you just have to have a Lily's Sweets crispy rice bar because it's so much better for you. And it tastes like better than like crunch bar, but they're delicious. That's well, I'm so glad you said that. Cause that was the, that was exactly the design. You know, that was like <laughs> what we were going for. So thank you. Oh, you know, you definitely did it. And I guess I mean, you must have seen a need for this in in the field, right? Because people want to be healthy, but they also, I think, right, that has always been the struggle for people. It's that they want to eat for their health, but food is so, like you said, like you love chocolate or maybe you like Valentine's Day and there's chocolate or whatever it is, the holiday yes. or the moment. So there must have been a need yes. for this in the field as well. Yes. I mean, I felt that so strongly. I mean, as that's, that's why I originally designed it because like, that's what I wanted to eat. And, and, you know, I just know from my years, like in, in the stores, you know, you, people want to, people want to eat healthy, but if it doesn't taste good, they don't want to eat it. You know, you can, you, you know, and, and neither do I, you know, like I want, I want my cake and eat it too. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I want my chocolate bar and eat it too. So I want it to be healthy, but it has to taste great. Yeah. And, and I think that that honestly has been like the foundation of the success for Lily's is that m- most people cannot like 99 and 44th, 100th percent of people cannot taste the difference between Lily's and a chocolate bar with sugar. No, absolutely. So, Even your, you yeah. now have like chocolate chips and baking chocolate, yes. and, you know, we yes. use it so much in our baking and yeah, people cannot tell the difference. I mean, I'm yes. a baker. I love to bake. It's, I'm much more of a baker than a cook. Ali is the, the chef of yeah. the two of us, but you know, I try to bake, you know, healthier versions of cookies or brownies or bars or whatever it is. And people cannot tell the difference. So, um, it's yeah. really yeah. like a testament to the taste of lilies. And I thought, you know, um, the name behind lilies, how did you decide on that? I remember you had shared it once and I thought it was really, uh, special. Yes. So, um, so Lily is the niece of my former business partner, Chuck. And when Lily was, um, seven years old and she's 17 now, she was diagnosed with brain cancer. And, um, she under underwent really horrific treatment. She had surgery, she had chemo, she had radiation. I mean, she really went through the gamut of hard, you know, really hard treatment. 
and she was treated at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and, and she came out of the hospital, and she said to her mother, Mommy, I want to have a fundraiser for kids less fortunate than me. Mm-hmm. And her mother was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And, you know, which is just an astonishing thing for any human who had just undergone such hardship, let alone a seven-year-old child you know, to have the wherewithal to want to help others was amazing. So um, her mother said, well, why do you want to, you know, why do you want to raise money? And she said, well, mommy, when the kids are in the hospital together, they get sad because there's not enough wheelchairs to wheel them into the dining room to eat at the same time. Mm -hmm. So the kids get really sad when they can't eat with their friends. So I want to, I want to get, I want to raise money to buy a wheelchair for the hospital. So uh, because I'm friends with the family, I actually attended that um, that fundraiser, and Lily did raise enough money to buy a wheelchair for the hospital. And when Chuck and I were conceiving of the of the company, we wanted to have a charitable aspect to it. So um, it kind of you know we were brainstorming about the name one day, and you know it kind of like came up organically oh let's let's call the brand lilies and we'll continue to donate um money to to uh organizations that that support children with and their children and their families who have cancer so that's what we did that's amazing and you guys have grown so much and that's i guess a good segue into some of the work you currently do right you've taken on more of a, a role with the philanthropic work I have. I'm. I'm like. It's. It's actually like the, my favorite part of my job is that um, I head up the charitable giving committee for Lilies. So it's just been such a wonderful experience. It's. It's been. You know. It. I, I'm so happy that we. You know. That. That we started this. Um, you know, we started this tradition of charitable giving, you know, and I mean, it was so important to us even in the early days um, that we were, we were actually giving to charities before we took a salary. So, you know, and, and, and yeah, so it's, it's just been this really important part of the brand to us. Um, So um, now we have this, you know, committee, this charitable giving committee that, um, uh, and it's it's kind of given us, you know, because I stepped away from the day-to-day um, uh, operations and working of Lilies, it's given me the opportunity to really focus. So um, throughout the years, we've given to a number of different nonprofits. And actually, we started, um, the, the first nonprofit that we gave to is this nonprofit in, um, in Pennsylvania called Camp Cranium. And Camp Cranium... Um, is this um it's it's a it's a camping experience for kids it's a a weekend long experience for kids who are undergoing cancer treatment to kind of go away and have like this weekend where they're just kids again they don't think about you know they don't think about their diagnosis they're with other children they get to play they get to forget and it's a really valuable um you know it's a really valuable fun time for them and we were introduced to Camp Cranium from by from Lily herself who who went there and then was so happy with um, having gone there that she proceeded to to raise money um, for for Camp Cranium so they were the recipients of our initial donation 
-hmm. And then, you know, and then we, over the years, we, you know, we just, you know, different nonprofits would reach out to us, you know, and, you know, we, we would, you know, give as much support as we could. Um, Probably the, our, my favorite um, nonprofit is a nonprofit called um, Max Love Project, and it's in Orange County, California. Our neighbor. Yes, yes. And um, so Max is a 12-year-old who had, was diagnosed with brain cancer at the, year, at, at, at the age of four. So he's been really successfully battling brain cancer, you know, for the past eight, eight, almost nine years. And his parents uh, decided when he was diagnosed to focus on quality of life. And um, through their um, efforts to just have this amazing, mindful life for their child, they have, um, ex you know, they have uh, generously um, given away the information and the resources that they developed to support him to hundreds of other families throughout the country. And the work that they are doing, in my mind, is so amazing and so um, empowering. I mean, the, like the, fa the foundation of their program is thrivership and just making every day be a good quality, amazing day. And they, they just, their, their program is really, really great. Um, they found us because part of what they, they believe is that sugar is not good for, for children with cancer. So they really strive to avoid it. So Lily's was a really great fit um, for, you know, for their belief system. Mm -hmm. um, and over the years, uh, we've, you know, we've had such a great relationship with them that when I started heading up this charitable giving committee, I partnered with um, Audra Wilford, who is the founder of Max Love. She's Max's mom. Mm -hmm. And she helped us to, um, to kind of formalize our charitable giving program a little more. And, um, you know, she helped us to understand eligibility criterias and, and um, you know, just formalize the, 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 the program a little bit more. So, like, to date, um, we have eligibility criterias, and they include things like um, we, 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 we've expanded our charitable giving to include wellness programs for children. So not just uh, children with cancer, but also overall ch childhood wellness. Um, we've included, um, you know, we've, we've decided that we're going to donate to nonprofits that um, have an operating budget of under a million dollars um, because we feel that that can, um, you know, we, we can have uh, more impact with the yeah. smaller nonprofits. You know, we've, I'm proud to report that we've donated since our inception over $350,000 to nonprofits, but, you know, our charitable giving budget is not like, you know, it's not Procter and Gamble's. It's you know it's Lily's. So we felt that you know by by um, you know focusing on nonprofits that have an operating budget of under a million dollars, we we could have greater impact. And um, 
you know, and the other um, criteria is that um, we we strive for um, comfort and joy rather than research because we sort of feel that that fits into our our product, uh, you know, chocolate, yeah. which is so comfortable and so joyful. Yes. Well, and thank you guys for the work that you do. I think it's really great to share on this platform um, that there are good companies out there with a commitment not only to growing and profiting, but to also um, continuing to grow and like help give give resources to other parts of the community. And that's, you know, that's an inspiration to us. It's what we're trying to also incorporate on a very, you know, we're starting on a very small scale. I was like, I can uh, relate to the, you know, we're trying to give even before yeah. we draw full salaries kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's really, it really makes a difference because every step of the game, when you're trying to grow a company, it also kind of keeps um, also what's important to you in your perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it also goes along with, you know, you think especially like in wellness, right? It's like we're working so hard on staying well and eating healthy and, you know, for hopefully like longevity and so that we can have great quality of life and, you know, minimize diseases. But it's, it's like what kind of world we want to live in with these healthy bodies we're curating, right? It's like it, yeah. it's just health and wellness is so much more than our own personal health and wellness, right? It really is community health and wellness. It, it, you know, for me, I feel so privileged to have worked for my entire career in the natural products industry, it, it always felt like right livelihood to me. You know, it always felt like I could make a living, which everyone needs to do, and also do the right thing for people and the planet. Right. And part of that necessitated a certain amount of charitable giving, of giving back, so that everyone wins. It, it, yeah. just, it just makes the most sense. Yeah. And it, it doesn't need to be one or the other. It like, as you're saying, it can be this and this, right. It can be both. And yeah, that's, that's exciting. Especially, I know, you know, you guys are now uh, a company that is, is quite well known in what you do. And, um, you do have a large distribution and, um, and so that sort of message that you carry through with your branding is great because it does influence others. Yeah. Yeah. So as yeah. this incredible, you know, woman in wellness and, you know, business, uh, we're always so curious, what are some ways that you prioritize your own self-care? Um, how do you take care of yourself on a daily basis? And maybe if you can share some of your self-care uh, non-negotiables. Well, the first is diet. <laughs> you know, really, really like making sure that I can, you know, really, again, focusing on um, both macronutrients, micronutrients, and uh, the quality of the food that I eat. So, you know, I, I really, you know, I, I travel quite a bit, but, you know, we're so lucky that, you know, nowadays it's, it's, it's fairly easy to find good quality food. So I think, I think it's really important to, uh, to, to, you know, to eat well as much as you can. Um, I, I, I'm an avid exerciser, so I do a a pretty good amount of cardio and I do yoga on a daily basis. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I, I, and I, I think, I think trying to focus on mindfulness, you know, just, just really like, you know, thinking, 
thinking the right thoughts, you know, doing 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 stuff things that that make you feel good, both physically and emotionally. Um, I think I think that carries you really far. And having good genes doesn't doesn't hurt either. <laughs> Okay. And also we have a question that we ask all of our guests. And this one is over the course of your journey, or it could be something in your life right now. Do you have any books that have meant something um, particularly special to you that you would share with our audience? It could be, you know, maybe um, a song or a podcast or something you've like an article you've read recently, inspirational to you. I guess probably some of some of the most inspirational uh um probably one of the most inspirational people that i know today is is audra wilford mm. um i i get really impressed by people who take challenging really challenging uh life situations and change them into an opportunity yeah. And I can't, I actually can't think of anyone who's done that with more resilience and more grace than she. And, uh, you know, when you read about what, you know, what she's been through and how she's taken her own situation, you know, her family situation and used it to, um, to help other others that are in her situation you know, she's commu she's created this beautiful community around herself and her family, and she's really taken the hardest of um, circumstances and used it to be transformational, not only for herself but for many, many other people around her. So, you know, I'm always I, I guess you know I guess if you that that's 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 kind of what I love, and mm -hmm. when I think about like who. My personal heroes are it's people like Oprah, yeah. <laughs> people like um, like uh, people like Toni Morrison. You know, people who who really have have risen above their own circumstance in this way that that just changes the lives of people around them, and they've used their influence to help others that are less fortunate than they. So that that's 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 what is near and dear to my heart. We love that. Thank you for sharing that. So if anyone wants to find Lilies or learn more about you, where can they find your products and, and learn more? Well, they can um, check them out in our, on our website at lilies.com. And um, uh, we have national distribution. Um, so, I mean, I'm super happy to say that like, pretty most um you know most natural food stores now and many many conventional stores as well as target and walmart all carry lilies now that's incredible it's that's so yeah. wonderful to hear because that makes it so accessible yeah. to so many people yeah, but certainly whole foods yep. yeah yep. <laughs> yeah well thank you thank you so much for joining us today and thank you so much for sharing your story oh thank you so much for asking me and thank you for the thoughtful questions and you know for your time Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.CourageousWellnessPodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. 
And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness. 